5 degrees now at 1019 WDET. It's 9 o'clock. From the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET, this is Detroit Today. Today, we're going to have a pretty broad conversation about a new project of the Levin Center at Wayne State Law. And that project seeks to explore how government oversight can have a taming effect on the extreme ideologies that are challenging our republic right now. How can government help hold people accountable for things like the January 6, 2021 insurrection? We'll look at history, the present, and cast forward with scholar Norman Ornstein and Levin Center Director Jim Townsend. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. What happens to a republic if there are no consequences for the most extreme actions that threaten that republic? What happens if there's no accountability built into the way that government oversees the safety and security of the most sacred institutions in a democracy. What happens, in other words, if there really is no one minding the store in our nation? These are some of the most important questions we face in 2022, a year after the January 6th insurrection in Washington. We're learning more every day about the level of coordination that went into an attempt to overturn the 2020 election and hand the keys back over to Donald Trump. The Congressional Commission that's tasked with uncovering the truth about this attempted coup is hoping that its work will prevent future attacks on our democracy. And in order to do that, it's got to hold, I think, a pretty wide array of people accountable. But as we've seen too many times in both our recent past and throughout history, congressional oversight doesn't always lead to true accountability. Sometimes we're left wondering if people can just get away with the most extreme transgressions against democracy. The Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School has a new project titled Portraits in Oversight, which wants to explore congressional oversight investigations throughout American history, as well as the members of Congress who have championed oversight efforts. Of course, one of those members of Congress was Carl Levin, a very longtime serving senator from here in the state of Michigan. Each of these portraits in Oversight offers lessons for today about the importance of this work and how dire the consequences can be when and if it fails. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. What should government oversight look like with regard to especially threats to the republic, threats to our democracy? Are we doing it the right way? And... If we were to do it differently, what would it look like? Joining us now to talk more about this are two people who are deeply involved with the Levin Center's new project. Norman Ornstein is an emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, a best-selling author, and a contributing editor for The Atlantic. Norman, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be with you. Also with us is Jim Townsend, a former state lawmaker and director of the Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School. Jim, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So, Jim, I wonder if you can briefly explain what the Portraits in Oversight Project is. What does it consist of and what is it trying to do? 
the portraits and oversight are a set of uh, profiles that are available on the Levin Center's website. We just debuted this about two weeks ago. And what they are are a series of brief accounts, written accounts with some illustrations of congressional oversight activities, of investigations that have been taking place in Congress since the beginning of the Republic, since the earliest days. The first oversight investigation, in fact, was uh, occurred in 1792. And it looked into a failed um, military operation um, uh, led by a general named uh, General St. Clair. Um, and so these investigations, what we do in these portraits is, is provide the public an opportunity to understand and learn about uh, important investigations that have occurred in Congress over the last, you know, over 200 plus years now, uh, all the way up to very recent investigations, such as, you know, investigations into uh, the collapse of the Enron Corporation, um, the Watergate investigation, which obviously many people remember, and a lot of other investigations that um, really helped the public understand what was going on. Now, not every one of these investigations uh, were successful. And, and in some cases, um, the investigations were led by people who were, um, were unethical. Um, uh, Joe McCarthy is, is, is the most famous example. And the investigations that he led uh, were, you know, partisan witch hunts that were uh, focused on trying to uh, exploit people's fears about uh, about communism and and the Soviet Union and 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 those were obviously misdirected and uh, and ultimately did harm to many many people and to the country in general. So we're we're this is not about whitewashing, you know, or or trying to uh, paint a picture that all investigations are good. But what is important to understand is that these investigations are really how um, America comes to understand uh, and recognize what's true. Yeah. And, and let's remind listeners a little more of the importance of this work, this kind of work, to uh, the, the man whose name your center bears. Uh, Carl Levin uh, was described as Politico uh, in 2021 as the senator who mastered Oversight uh, that that he he was the uh, the person in Congress for whom uh, this meant more than than almost anyone else, and that he did so much to I guess beef up the efforts of Congress to be able to hold people accountable. Well, Senator Levin understood at his core the unique power that Congress has to conduct inquiries. There is no other institution in society that has the tools and the authority to get to the truth, to get to the facts. And with that comes a tremendous responsibility. And Carl recognized from the very beginning of his career that he could do a lot of good if he pursued the facts and if he built relationships with his colleagues, particularly his colleagues on the other side of the aisle. So some of his best friends in Congress were people he disagreed with vehemently mm -hmm. about policy. Carl was a liberal Democrat. But he works closely with people like John McCain and Tom Coburn and other conservative Republicans because they shared one thing most importantly, and that was a belief that they had a responsibility to the people to uh, unveil the facts, to get at the truth as best they could and share that with the public. And that really nothing more was there was nothing more important than that in his role as a senator. Uh, Norman, um, I, I want to talk about the, the kind of scholarly dimension of this work and the importance of uh, that scholarly dimension uh, with you. Talk about your interest in this whole idea of oversight, government oversight, and I guess what it means in the kind of historical context and, uh, and as we kind of uh, search for, I think, a better way to to hold people accountable today? So I've been now around, kicking around Congress for more than 50 <laughs> years. And uh, uh, through that time, I've worked on almost every reform effort uh, through the committee system and in other ways. And every single one of them grappled with the question of how you can do better oversight. And if you think about it, even going back to the beginning of the Republic, uh, there was a need and an understanding by the framers that 
you wanted to have a robust government, but a government that um, had some constraints on it, that mistakes were going to be made, and you had to have ways of investigating them, holding people accountable, but also seeing that the laws were faithfully executed, that things were done the right way. And at the same time, you wanted to have a way of looking into not just what government did, but what happened through the rest of society so that government could shed a light on it. Um, What uh, a scholar now, uh, even before my time, uh, called with oversight hearings the grand inquest for the nation. So we've seen oversight that's taken place that looks into how agencies are operating, whether programs are being carried out effectively, if there are catastrophes, um, whether there are things like uh, the reaction to uh, hurricanes um, or uh, military uh, adventures gone bad, or whether it involves things like the insurance industry uh, the um, actions of private uh, actors, uh, which is one of the things we'll talk about today, the Ku Klux Klan mm-hmm. in the era of, recon- uh, of Reconstruction, um, or organized crime, or the tobacco industry, all of those things uh, we're not going to get done by self-regulation in the private sector or by agencies or government actors correcting themselves. So oversight really is a core function of Congress. And, you know, circling back to what I said at the beginning, the big problem in the past has been that in many instances, there weren't incentives for individual members to do the kind of digging of whether programs are working effectively. And you had to find ways to encourage oversight. Mm. Or you could get um, a destructive kind of oversight. You know, bad actors can occur in Congress as well. Good example of that is uh, a dozen investigations into Benghazi that were not designed to do anything other than inflict political damage. And I know that not just by asserting it, but Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, said just as much. Look at what we've accomplished with Benghazi, he said. We've heard Hillary Clinton. Hmm. So you have to be uh, strike a balance here. And that's what we're struggling to do now with this committee investigating not just January 6th, but everything that led up to it. Yeah, yeah. So I want to remind our listeners that if they're interested in uh, portraits of oversight, you can go to levincenter.org and see all of this really pretty amazing uh, exposition of the history of Congressional oversight, congressional investigations, starting, as uh, Jim Townsend just pointed out, in 1792 at the very dawn of the Republic and uh, casting forward uh, into modern times. Um, Again, levincenter.org is where you can can find all of that. Uh, But I I, I do want to spend some time talking specifically about a couple of the, uh, a couple of these these portraits and and I think the the investigation into into clan violence during the the 1870s the period which we call reconstruction um, is really important right now because a lot of what uh, Congress was trying to do and trying to deal with at that time this kind of extremist, uh, reaction to uh, reform that took place right before it is a lot of what we're seeing right now. It's it's a lot of what the backlash against the 2020 presidential election looks like. And now this massive movement among some conservatives uh, to try to gain control of the elections apparatus before we go back to the polls so that they can actually accomplish some of the things that they were trying uh, in in 2020. So, so Norm Ornstein, let's start with um, let's just start with a, a, a recap of what Congress was inspired to do uh, in the 1870s as uh, post Civil War America was was taking shape and African Americans were gaining rights and access that they just didn't have before. So uh, some of what happened in the aftermath of the Civil War and the immediate aftermath was just just astonishing. 
we had uh, all of a sudden African-Americans registering to vote and voting, electing African-Americans to legislatures in the South, gaining their freedoms and uh, finding political power. And even though the Confederacy had lost, there were a lot of Confederates who didn't want to accept that. So uh, former Confederate soldiers, generals and others, uh, created this secret organization, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, hid themselves behind the white robes and hoods that go back even to that time, and began to terrorize not just the newly freed slaves and their families, but also Republicans, capital R Republicans, the ones who had led the effort, uh, Abraham Lincoln and others, to uh, win that civil war, and were promoting freedom for all people to terrorize and sometimes assassinate them. And it was a wave of terror throughout the South, white supremacist terrorist activities. And it reached a point where finally Congress, and it was a Republican majority in Congress, decided that they had to investigate this and look into what was going on and look for appropriate uh, remedies. And those remedies were going to come in the form, uh, had come in some instances, remedies that ended up not being entirely effective Mm -hmm. through constitutional amendments, but also through the legal process. And, of course, hoping that this investigation would shed light on some of these terrorist activities uh, that a public would get alarmed and try to do something about it as well. Mm. And the investigation that Congress launches is into the into the Klan, which is at this point a new organization uh, organized around the idea of pushing back against uh, the constitutional amendments, uh, the eradication of, of slavery, the expansion of uh, equal protection rights, and uh, and giving the vote to at least African American males in 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 theory. Uh, talk about how that invest investigation unfolds and whether it is effective at stopping Klan violence. So there were actually two investigations that ended up being done. The first one in the House of Representatives, and it had both uh, Republican and Democratic members. They went down to, they did, you know, what you could call field hearings. They did others uh, in Washington. They brought in all kinds of witnesses, including some of those freed slaves and their families who uh, recounted for them the terror uh, that included murdering members of their family had occurred. And then they issued a report, and we ended up getting some legislation uh, out of it. Uh, it's noteworthy that, um, you know, there, there were members appointed by the leadership. They included uh, Republicans and Democrats. The Democrats on the committee, um, while they didn't, uh, it appears, disrupt any of the activities that were going on, issued a minority report that said that this was uh, basically just nonsense, that um, there uh, was wasn't proof of any such organization and the like. They um, uh, tried to, uh, in effect, uh, stonewall. Now, that was followed by another uh, investigation that uh, ended up being a joint one. Um, with uh, House and Senate joining together, and also with Democrats and Republicans. They made it um, as bipartisan as they could. All of their subcommittee investigations had at least one uh, Democrat and one Republican. Again, we saw the the, uh, Democrats, uh, in the end, uh, disassociate themselves from the majority, but it resulted in legislation. And one of the things that also came out of that, which was absolutely striking, is we'd had an attorney general from the beginning uh, uh, of our uh, country, but we didn't have great support for the attorney general to have federal action that could deal with some of these things. Mm -hmm. And it led to the creation of the Justice Department, uh, a staff around the attorney general. Um, the modern-day Justice Department had its roots to some degree in the response to um, the uh, uh, actions taken by the Ku Klux Klan and what Congress did to investigate it, uh, pushing for uh, even greater change. But I think, you know, one of the things that's most important to recognize here is we we had the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. 
we had things that abolished slavery, that moved towards uh, the ability for all Americans to vote, to give equal rights to all. We had legislation that was aimed at ending this kind of terrorism. Uh, look at today. Do we have the ability for all to vote? Yeah. Uh, we see voter suppression going on when we've had major parts of the Voting Rights Act. The 1965 Act amended numerous times in an attempt to make sure that some of these actions taken to curtail rights couldn't be done. We had that pretty much eviscerated by the John Roberts uh, Supreme Court. And we have more efforts targeting these minorities uh, across states. The Ku Klux Klan didn't exactly go away. In fact, in the 1920s and 1930s, it flowered again mm -hmm. and was a major force. It's still in existence uh, today, um, albeit not at all what it was in the past. But we've had, uh, it was a precursor in some ways to white supremacists and uh, terrorism of that sort that the FBI and uh, other agencies have said is the major threat that we face uh, internally in the country. So you can have congressional action that can have some impact, and this had some impact. It doesn't mean you're going to erase a major problem in the society. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Jim Townsend and Norm Orenstein uh, about Portraits and Oversight, the project at the Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School. We want to get going on the phones as well. Call and tell us what you make of congressional hearings, congressional inv investigations into things like Watergate or Enron or... January 6th, 2021. Uh, were you around for some of these historic investigations? Call and tell us what you thought of Congress's effort to hold people accountable. Also call and tell us how closely you're watching how the current congressional committee that's looking into January 6th is calling people to account. Should they be doing more? Should we know more at this point, more than a year after that happened, uh, about who is going to be held accountable. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put uh, comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests this hour uh, are two folks who are working with the Levin Center here at Wayne State University Law School on a project called Portraits in Oversight, which is an effort to look back at congressional efforts to hold people accountable uh, for extreme actions, uh, extreme threats to the republic and other th kinds of misbehavior, and also to make sense of what that means today. What does that mean as we kind of look back just a year to what happened in Washington, D.C. on January 6th? Who should be held accountable? How should we hold people accountable? for that and and other kinds of transgressions. Uh, are we doing that the right way? Are, are we headed, for instance, in the January 6th investigation toward consequences that could really matter, not just for the people who showed up at the Capitol uh, and were uh, violently trying to get in, uh, but also the people who were working in the background, the, the things that led up to January 6th. Uh, how do we hold those people accountable, including perhaps the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put comments there, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with Ty in Detroit. Ty, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, uh, okay, so my my question is, or what I've observed is that years ago, when 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 what happened in Benghazi, 
when they when they took over the embassy and you know things like that, the Republicans were all over that with hearings and 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 investigations. And now that something has happened on our own soil, right here in the Capitol, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people are are the same same people that were up in arms are are, are noticeably quiet. So I, I don't I don't quite understand that. Yeah, Ty, it's a great observation, and it it gets to something that's even broader than just January sixth. There is this there is this um, this tension I think that exists in Congress that is driven by you know the the extreme partisanship that has taken hold. Uh, I, I would say more on one side of the political spectrum than uh, than the other, but but certainly you have uh, examples on on both sides of that. Um, uh, but what it does is it is it makes it difficult to protect institutions. For instance, right? Uh, institutions are not partisan and don't have uh, kind of partisan uh, uh, don't have partisan hooks we can sort of grab onto and say, well. When it's this side that's uh, that's that's the victim of of what's going on, it's wrong. But on the other side, it's not, uh, and that's what we're seeing with this reaction to January sixth, for instance, as opposed to uh, the reaction to something like Benghazi. Uh, Jim Townsend, you have worked an awful lot uh, on this very idea of the extent of partisanship and the extent to which it blinds our loyalties to uh, to, to greater causes uh, than, than just our party affiliations, that it makes it difficult to protect and maintain institutions that cross the partisan divide. Well, we're in a, a period of... Uh kind of a perfect storm where we have extreme polarization that is that is fed and you know exacerbated by uh the media environment that we're in uh where people uh you know are 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 where it's profitable to uh to excite people's passions and and in many cases mislead them and 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 you know you you get more clicks the more the more you uh the more incendiary and the more and in many cases misleading you are um you know the the way you address this is 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 to recognize that the really the people have to recognize that, uh, something that uh, I heard a couple of weeks ago a, a Washington Post columnist made it had a great line he said his name, his name is Paul Waldman and he and he wrote in a column we get the oversight we elect hmm. and the the public needs to understand that 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 oversight. Uh, as you say, Stephen, you know, is is about investigating and holding accountable institutions, right? Whether that's government agencies or private sector institutions, but the institution of Congress is is also um, at risk here. And 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 what we're seeing is a failure in many instances of members of Congress to uphold their duty to the institution by letting politics come before their responsibility to the truth. Mm -hmm. And I like to say to people, um, you know, the public should be, should really treat members of Congress or, or have the same standard for members of Congress that we have for trial juries. I mean, think about this every day across this country, uh, trial juries are meeting to find the facts. And those are made up of ordinary Americans from countless backgrounds and belief systems. Uh, and they are charged with coming together uh, to find the facts and to, you know, come to a consensus on the facts. And now they don't always succeed. There are hung juries. We know that. But most of the time they do that. And, you know, I think the public should be asking, well, if if ordinary Americans can do that or are charged with doing that, that is the least we can expect our elected representatives to do, to come across, you know, to work across difference and get to the facts. And if they fail to do that, mm -hmm. then voters should take notice and remember the next time the election comes around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Norm Nornstein, I wonder what you make of, uh, of Ty's comparison to, uh, of, of Republican reaction to Benghazi and Republican reaction to January 6th. There are a lot of years between those two instance instances uh, and a lot of things have changed uh, while while that time passed 
So Benghazi was not genuine oversight, in my view. It wasn't an attempt to look at, for example, where uh, the State Department had gone wrong with embassy security, how it had allocated its resources. And of course, this was not the embassy. It was a consulate. Um, But this was just an attempt to inflict political damage. They ended up through those uh, 11 or more investigations with nothing other than, as I'd said earlier, Kevin McCarthy's triumphant uh, statement that they did a lot of damage to Hillary Clinton. What we see now uh, is, a, I think, a dramatic um, uh, example of a, a party that's gone rogue. Remember, if we just look at a little bit of the background here, we had a violent insurrection, an attempt to take over the Capitol, people killed, um, the vice president coming fairly close to being hung himself or, uh, or uh, killed, members of Congress uh, in grave danger. We know before that that there were massive attempts made to overturn the legitimate results of an election. We know that there are more things going forward. Congress moves to investigate, and in the House, we get an attempt to make it thoroughly bipartisan by doing an outside commission, not just an internal congressional investigation. Uh, The uh, majority uh, and the minority leaders come together by designating two people to uh, pull together a bipartisan compromise, the chair and ranking member of the Homeland Security uh, Committees, John Katko, the Republican, Benny Thompson, the Democrat. They come up with a balanced plan that had equal numbers, an equal opportunity to subpoena witnesses, uh, and what happens? All the Republicans uh, or the vast majority in the House vote against it, but it passes out. And in the Senate, Republicans filibuster it, I think now to their regret. But they wanted to, instead of looking at how we could come close to losing our democracy and letting the chips fall where they may, decided that they wanted to basically paper it over and move past it because it was going to damage their party politically. What we've ended up with, of course, is a committee in the House That committee has Republicans, but not Republicans that the Republican leader wanted. He wanted people who would disrupt the investigation and turn it into a circus. We have the two Republicans in the House who are determined to get to the bottom of this and try and keep it from happening again. And what we have now is a pretty effective investigation going on. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I would mention, uh, which is interesting, is that back in the Ku Klux Klan uh, investigation, They actually had some witnesses, Ku Klux Klan members in particular, who tried to defy the Congressional Committee and not respond to subpoenas. Um, And what the uh, House did was to issue arrest warrants for them. What do we have now is a whole series of people, uh, the Steve Bannons of the world, who said, we're not going to come in and testify. Um, And now we're getting the Justice Department at least going after Bannon with a criminal contempt citation. Whether they'll do the same with Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, uh, will be interesting to see. But we have parallels there as well, and we have uh, you know, a lot of people who want to stonewall this investigation. But what we have is not an institution responding to a grave threat to America. We have one party responding with a few members of the other party, joining in (laughs) while the rest of the party doesn't even want to look at it. It's like, uh, don't look over here. There's nothing going on. Just move on. Yeah. Yeah. And and let me add what's so appalling. What what makes it even more appalling is the attack itself was on the institution that they serve in. I mean, many of these people's lives were at risk and and, and it just, it, it speaks to the power of the tribalism that has taken hold in, in the party that so many members of that party, even 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 when their lives were at risk, uh, or you know, were not are, are not are not concerned enough apparently to join a good faith effort in in trying to to remedy this situation and or investigate it and find remedies to the situation. This this situation it's the reason why talking about the KKK investigation makes so much sense because the level of of division and risk to our republic. Is is at least as great in this instance as it was 
uh, in the KKK situation. And, and what's not happening is what we saw in Watergate, where Republicans uh, initially it was reluctant, uh, certainly, but Republicans came around, people like Howard Baker and, and others came around to once the evidence started to show that, uh, you know, the Nixon administration had done some very bad things and, and, and some things that put at great risk our, our democratic system, they were fully into uh, pursuing the investigation. That is not what we are seeing in the in the modern you know in, in this instance in the modern uh, with, with the current investigation yeah you know let, let me just uh, i, I want to add uh in, in a broader point uh carl evan was a giant in the senate but uh at, at one point i went to visit him in his office in washington and he brought out for me his collection of letters that harry truman had written and signed uh and harry truman was his hero mm-hmm. and harry truman uh, one of the investigations that we have in this collection at the Levin Center was Harry Truman in the Senate investigating the uh, horrible preparations that we were making uh, as we were on the verge of going into the Second World War. It was taking on his own party, uh, and it was a pretty tricky business to do because he put the interests of the country first, and not that of, uh, you know, partisan uh, uh, traction or ability. When Carl Levin served in the Senate with people like John McCain and Tom Coburn, as Jim had mentioned, these were people who put country first. Jim Coburn or or Tom Coburn was as conservative as anybody we've ever Mm -hmm. had in the Senate, (laughs) but he was a patriot. And what we're seeing now is party over country over and over again in a fashion that is unlike anything that I've seen in all my decades around Washington. And I think it's uh, not quite unprecedented, but it is uh, very, very disturbing. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about oversight, its history, its present, what its future should look like. We'll continue to hear from you as well. Jack and Monroe, Daniel in Detroit, we'll get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to social media and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the Levin Center at Wayne State University, a new project called Portraits in Oversight, uh, an effort to uh, collect memories about uh, important congressional investigations in history and connect those investigations and their outcomes to the current political narrative that we are having right now. Pretty serious congressional investigation going on right now in the Capitol, in Washington, into what happened on January 6, 2021. Uh, that unfolds uh, in the shadow of all of these historic investigations that can Congress has conducted. The question is, where is it all leading? What will we see in terms of accountability, in terms of making sure there are consequences for those who not only participated in the violence of January 6th, uh, but participating in the planning and the coordination that we are learning about uh, that led to January 6th. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of the history of congressional uh, investigations? How effective have they been? And how much faith are you putting in the January 6th committee? Are you expecting that there will be appropriate consequences for a, ri- a wide range uh, of, of actors there. Uh, our guests are Norman Ornstein, an emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, best-selling author and contributing editor for The Atlantic. Also with us is Jim Townsend, director of the Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School and a former 
state lawmaker. You can join us on the phones at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, put comments there, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, what's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind is, for me, uh, Watergate, the Watergate Committee, was sort of the gold standard. It was uh, during that time of the Watergate Committee and all of the stuff coming out was when I was, uh, you know, I was in college and I was becoming politically active. And it was all in the background of of uh, a lot of it was in the background of trying to 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 watch as much as the committee hearings as I could while I was going to school and working. And to me, it was the gold standard. I mean, I um, at a time of great crisis in the republic, and of course, we know that the Vietnam War was still going on, and you know, and all of that was associated. At a time of great crisis in the republic, they they were a, a steadying force as the facts came out and. Um, there were consequences. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel, really appreciate the call and the memories. I mean, um, that's a little before I was uh, politically conscious, at least. I mean, I was a- around then. But uh, Norm Ornstein, react to what Daniel's saying about the importance of that and the importance of that to someone who was his age at that time, right? To see yeah. that uh, that democracy can work even when you have pretty spectacular misbehavior by a chief executive. So I was around at that time and in Washington and somewhat immersed in what was going on. And, you know, Jim mentioned this earlier, and I think it's important to realize leadership matters and leaders set examples. When the Watergate Committee in the Senate was first set up, Republicans were going to be uh, protective of their president, and I think because they genuinely didn't believe uh, at the beginning that he didn't have anything to do with it. We had the famous statement by Howard Baker as that committee got underway, and he was the ranking Republican senator from Tennessee, uh, and he said the question is, what did the president know and when did he know it? Now, he said that believing that the president didn't know anything. But as the evidence emerged, and the chief counsel was Fred Thompson, who later, of course, became not just a celebrated actor, but a senator from Tennessee as well, they saw how deep this conspiracy went, how corrupt it was, and they uh, rose to the occasion. So did the Senate Republican leader, Hugh Scott, Barry Goldwater, Mm -hmm. the conservative icon. And when it moved to the House, Peter Radino, who was the chair of the Judiciary Committee, um, conducted as fair an investigation as he could, and Republicans on that committee gradually came around to understanding that Richard Nixon should be impeached and removed from office. As they were on the verge of impeaching him, a group of Republicans, including the House leader, uh, John Rhodes, a fierce partisan, but also somebody who believed in the institution, Barry Goldwater, uh, Howard Baker, and others went in and convinced Nixon to resign before going through what was certain to be his removal from office. Now, I uh, went through all that because look at today. Is Mitch McConnell a Hugh Scott? No. Hmm. Um, Do we have any equivalent of Howard Baker? No. Do we have an equivalent of Barry Goldwater? No. Is Kevin McCarthy anywhere close to John Rhodes? No. We have two Republicans in the House, Adam Kinsinger and Liz Cheney, who are playing the role that people like Bill Cohen did in the House back in the day, and even some of the conservatives who uh, went along uh, with uh, uh, the understanding that Nixon had done something terrible, and none of the others. It's a very different Republican Party than we had back in the Watergate uh, era and a very different attitude towards their own institution and towards uh, the uh, republic itself. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, again, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go next to Jack in Monroe. Jack, what's on your mind? You there, Jack? Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead, Jack. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, 
the introduction about this being a, a history uh, look back on oversight and uh, comparing it against the uh, January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years that I've witnessed things, and including the the uh, impeachment of Nixon, which uh, seemed to back then have revealed that an oversight committee was necessary to be able to dig to the truth. In today's environment, you have to stand in neutral territory and not think in partisanship and view the truths of things to the extent that you're able to get the truth without censorship. And when you do look at how things are handled, you don't have to go deep in history to see oversight differences. You know, Benghazi, that seemed like a witch hunt. January 6th, a little bit similar. In what way is it similar? Well, less than a year earlier, not such a deep history as I was saying, we saw a lot of acts that might have been determined as insurrection against lower levels of government, police departments and courts and so forth being attacked and savagely damaged. The details about January 6th that have been omitted are worth hearing. And that's the problem is that the partisanship currently puts the filter on. There's a, Way too much censorship to be able to hear both sides. So, so Jack, I appreciate the call and I appreciate the perspective. I don't, I don't really agree with uh, a lot of what you're saying there. I mean, I think uh, if you look back to the summer of the BLM protests and compare what happened, what actually happened, not what people were saying was happening, but what actually happened at those protests uh, to what happened at the Capitol that we have on video. Um, I, the, the, there isn't a reasonable comparison um, between those two. The, the the thing I point out all the time is if Black Lives Matter protesters had killed a, a police officer, um, how, how can you imagine what the reaction would have been? Um, January 6th, um, you know, they, that, that was certainly one of the consequences uh, there. But but I do agree with you that, that, you know, the portrayal of these things is really important. And and the truth is very hard to suss out in an environment where there are so many people who are, you know, actively and willingly spreading, spreading misinformation. Uh, Jim Townsend, you and I have talked about this problem many times before. Yes, I, I, I think it's a really important point, and and the comparisons to to Watergate I think are really instructive here. Uh, the you know the country was captivated by this bipartisan investigation and by the very very clearly bipartisan uh, investigation or hearings that were held um, in the in 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 the summer of 1973, and it that the media played a very important role in this and. You know, we we know from looking at this KKK investigation that things did not change. Right? I mean, in the immediate aftermath of, of those reports, you know, we didn't see uh, hearts and minds in the American South change mm-hmm. about about the issue of race and the rights of, of African Americans. Uh, we didn't see Americans across the country, you know, rally to stay the course and commit to you know a generation long occupation and intervention in the South. Uh, the, the reconstruction collapsed about five years later. Uh, but what 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 we did see was um, the media picking up on the information that was revealed by these investigations. There were reports all over the country, uh, you know, newspapers were covering this and and the investigation itself issued copies of their report, thousands and thousands of them. And it eventually you know, it, it made some difference. The same thing happened in Watergate. The media played a very important role in getting the information out about uh, what was happening in the investigation and what, what it was finding. And, and so the point here is that is that oversight is not just the work of Congress. Oversight is something that the media plays a very important role in and that the public uh, has to be attentive to. Uh, so it's really an ecosystem. And when it works, it can really have a tremendous impact on the on on the on the country and can really help us address our problems when some of those legs of the stool if you will the media for example are 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 seriously malfunctioning then we then even really good oversight has a hard time um 
achieving the impact that it can. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it, it's an interesting. Norm, uh, I've only got important. about a minute left, so yeah. just make this quick. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, back in Watergate, we had four networks the three commercial ones and PBS. I actually did a lot of the commentary on PBS when the hearings were going on. Hmm. The nation was riveted on the Watergate hearings. Now we have a, a split media. We have a tribal media and a large share of the public, even when we get to public hearings by uh, the uh, 1-6 committee, are not going to be paying any attention. Fox News isn't going to cover them live. So we have a bigger challenge now than we had back then as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Norm Ornstein and Jim Townsend, it was really wonderful to have both of you here for this conversation, and congratulations on the work as well. And again, if you're interested in Portraits of Oversight, you can go to levin-center.org. Jim and Norm, thanks for being here. Our pleasure. Thank you. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with New Yorker staff writer Catherine Schultz about her new memoir, Lost and Found. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>